listening to the Empty Stringers podcast, where every week we talk about locating, catching, and the conservation of redfish. My hope is to share with you what I'm seeing from the polling platform so that together we can catch more fish. Think of it as your weekly fishing report. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. I'm your host, Matt Parrish, and I have been golfing for a week. I'm back, uh, getting some things done around the house and getting caught up on work. And then I'm going to be back out on the water, not this Thursday, because my daughter and son, uh, my two youngest kids, they have Thanksgiving feast at their school on Thursday. Uh, it was I was made aware by the domestic coordinator that I needed to be there. And so I shall be. But I do have a trip planned for Friday. And uh, I'm pretty sure I know what we're going to find out there. But I'm, I really wish I had a day uh, to get out there and look. And uh, I might try to squeeze away tomorrow afternoon and just go take a take a drive uh, out in the skiff to see what there is to see. Uh, and we'll get into conditions and what uh, what I've been seeing with the weather and all that. I wanted to kind of tell you guys about this golfing place that we went. So we flew to Nashville and we drove about 30 minutes outside of Nashville to a place called Hermitage. Uh, Hermitage Golf Course or, or Resort, I don't know what it's called. They have these little cabins. Uh, they don't look like cabins. They're like these little uh I don't know. They're they're little brick houses. And they have two bedrooms, uh two queen beds in each room. Each room has a bathroom. And uh they're within walking distance of the courses. There's two courses, the Presidential Reserve and the General uh the General Course. Both courses were great. The place was great. We had a great time. There are about 30 bighorn sheep that roam the property freely. They have a little barn on the property that they uh, that they go into at night, but they roam all throughout the golf courses during the day. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I, I played horribly. I shot a 106, a 117, and a 104. Now that was just in the mornings. So in the mornings, we played individual play. And then in the afternoons, we didn't have enough daylight. So we played a scramble, team scramble, four-man scramble. We did a couple of different things. But we played 36 holes of golf. We flew in Monday uh, and just traveled, got there that night. Uh, Tuesday, we played 36 holes. Wednesday, 36 holes. Thursday, 36 holes. Friday, got up and and went to Top Golf and then went to the airport because we had to check out at 11. So, we played an enormous amount of golf, and I I like golf. Uh, I enjoy it. I'm not very good at it, but if you played with me, you would think, oh, how'd you shoot a 107 or whatever? Because I drive pretty straight off the tee, about 220 to 240, and it's my second shot. I never get to the green in my second shot. Uh, I'm decent with my short irons. If I'm 100 yards or closer, or put me 120 or closer, I'm money. I'm, I'm going to get on the green. But then I'm going to three-putt everything. And so 
Uh, the best I'm going to do on a hole is bogey. Sometimes I think I parred three holes the whole time I was there. And so I just don't have there. I, I need some tweaks. If I had a few good tweaks, I could shave 20 strokes off my game. But uh, that didn't happen. Practice does not make perfect. So, of course, because I traveled on an airplane, I came home Friday night and Saturday night I started to get sick. So if you hear clicks in this podcast, that's me stopping so I can cough. So, yeah, I've been sick since Saturday night. I'm recording this on Tuesday afternoon. No, it's Wednesday afternoon. And uh, I'm getting better, but a cough has set in, so I'll probably have that cough for a couple of weeks, I would imagine. So, yeah, that's how it goes. Got back home, got back in the swing of things, and I am ready and itching to go fishing. I'm going to be down at the Bay House from Friday, uh, from the trip I have uh, planned, where the family's going to meet me down there Friday night, and uh, we're going to be there till probably Tuesday. So, I... uh I'm hoping to get a little more fishing in. Uh gonna take the kids, uh, let them do their thing. Benjamin's been itching to get out, so I'm gonna go have some boat time with him. And uh while I was gone, or really after I got back, we had a nor'eastern blow through Monday and Tuesday. I looked at the wind uh down at the coast uh, in Hitchcock. It it was sustained at twenty seven, it was gusting up to thirty-five. Uh, I think that was Monday afternoon, and then uh, Tuesday was pretty rough too. But you'll notice all that wind coming from the north, but it's coming from the northeast. It did not blow the water out. In fact, it boosted the water up uh, because there was a lot more east uh, in that wind at some times than there was north. We had an east-northeast, and then it would switch back to northeast. And so because of that, water level pumped up. And I'm not mad at that right now. I think that's good. It's kind of leveled back out to where it was. Uh, the wind is going to die down gradually through the week. And so this weekend, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, ought to be great fishing. Uh, the water has been sustained in areas it needs to be for more shrimp to hatch. Uh, that's what I'm looking for. I'm going to look for more shrimp hatches, which means the snowy egrets should be starting to work again. Uh, we should have some gulls over trout in the bigger uh, lakes. And I'm trying to find the skinniest water I can with the best clarity and areas that have a lot of tidal flow. And I am hunting, sight casting redfish. That's the plan on Friday. Got two uh, guys coming out with me. My buddy Mark uh, Dowden and his and his buddy are coming out. They are staying at the house the night before, so uh, that'll be cool for them. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna get on some fish. The last time Mark was out, uh, we jumped on three schools of redfish, and then we went and did the uh, the kid fishing thing with the shrimp on the popping cork. But they still caught uh, they caught a a barely over a twenty eight and a half inch redfish. It was a chunk. I mean, he was a heavy fish. Uh, so I'm really hoping that that, that trip's going to go well. I'm excited about it. Um, and if I was going fishing, I talked to my buddy, Paul, he's going out tomorrow. I say, you know, I didn't tell him this, but he was asking me kind of what to do. And, uh, the, the areas I'm looking at right now are areas that get lots of tide flow. Uh, 
So if you're going to go way to the back of a marsh, go back, go dead straight away from the area that's getting the most tide flow. Uh, stick around those, uh, those pinch choke points. Not Don't fish in them because you're going to catch trout. Fish in the back marshes of those areas. Stick close to them. You're going to find fish in those areas because that's where the shrimp are. Unless we start to get hatches in other areas in the marsh that are a little further away from these choke points and from these areas that that all the water sucks in and out of, uh, then if we do, you'll see the egrets on them and it'll be game time. Should be easy to figure out. Uh, my goal, if I can get out tomorrow afternoon, because I'm going to Humble, but I uh, I may have a couple hours in the afternoon to sneak away and go take a skiff ride. And if I do, I'm going to go check the least likely areas. Because I already know where I left the fish. Not a ton has changed with the weather and the wind uh, and the the tide. Uh, It's only cycled out to where our high is more in the middle of the night now. But um, I plan on going to check the least likely areas because I'm not necessarily wanting to find fish on the scout. I'm wanting to make sure that they're not where I think they're not going to be. Because that means I know they're going to be where I left them and where I've I've been finding them. So that's my goal. I'm not really out trying to catch a, to catch a fish on that stroll. I'm just going to be uh, hunting areas where I haven't been finding fish to see if they're there now. And if they're not, I'll know where they are. Uh, that's my game plan. Now, uh, I have my best friend, Justin, who uh, my business partner and the one I went on the golf trip with. He just got a boat. His father-in-law... Uh, is working at a shop that builds boats and they do uh they do airboats and they do alu- aluminum uh you know john boat trick outs and just all kind of stuff work with aluminum and uh they had this old boat that uh that I guess they got for free and they were fixing it up and they asked him if he wanted it and he put some money into it to help him fix it up and uh so he gets this boat and Justin is not a He's not a fisherman. He he doesn't enjoy fishing, but he does enjoy the water. He lives on Trinity Bay. His house, his backyard is Trinity Bay. And uh, so why not have a boat and explore the marshes of Trinity? So that's what he got yesterday. It finally was ready, delivered to him. His father-in-law met him at the, uh, at the boat ramp. Uh, Guhol Road and said, hey, I'll wait here. Uh, him and his son took it for a test drive and uh, and his father-in-law was waiting on him at the boat ramp. Well, Justin went out and uh, ran up into some areas that he wasn't familiar with and got stuck and had to use the two push poles on the boat to get out and stand on the front and do the, if you've been stuck, you know. He's doing that whole rigmarole. Then the motor won't start because it got clogged with mud. So he was in a bit of a pickle, but he finally got it all cleared out. He got it running. He made it back to the ramp. And it made me just realize as I was talking to him about it that, like, I've forgotten what it's like to be uh, to be new behind the steering wheel with the, with the world at your fingertips. And so I just thought it would be a good thing for us to do to uh, to run through some of the basics. Uh, if you're going to get a boat, you need to know what kind of boat you're going to get 
to do the kind of fishing that you want to do. So if you're going to wade fish, don't, uh, if, if you're going to wade fish or drift in six foot of water, don't go buy a skiff. It's not for you. Go get you a Mayak or a Shoalwater or a Flats Cat or something like that, right? If you're going to hunt redfish in shallow water, <clears throat> which I'm assuming is what you're going to do because you're listening to this podcast, then a skiff is is the trick for you. But if you're not in the kind of shape or have the kind of balance that it's going to take to pull that boat, don't buy a skiff because it does you no good to get up there and then have to troll. Most of the time I'm in an area where I can't even use a trolling motor. Uh, so the platform is the way to go. Most of the time, I don't, I haven't even had my trolling motor on my boat for the last six months. So, uh, you, you desperately need to know that you're going to want to pull that thing. If you're going to get a skiff, if you don't think you're going to get a skiff and you are still wanting to chase the redfish in the shallow water, then you have options. The flats cat, it gets really skinny. Uh, the Mayaks get really skinny. The Shoalwaters, they all make a version of a boat that can get back there. But usually there's more of a power up, like, uh, you know, dig your way out, uh, hammer down, get up out of the mud. That's how you get up and out, uh, in those boats. And, uh, so you just got to be a little, a little more careful. Uh, they don't push out as easy as the skiff does. But it's all about knowing what you want to do, which is why you ought to go hire a guide to figure out if that's what you want to do. I had my my uh, buddy Tim and his uh, and his friend Chris on the boat last week, as I as I told you, but you guys about, and uh, I let Tim get up there and pull the boat for uh, not for very far, maybe 50, 75 yards, and um, just so he got the feeling of it to see if that's something he might ever really want to do because. I could tell that Tim was uh, catching the bug just like uh, I caught it. He's a bass guy, and I think he's moving on over to the salt world. So fully expect him to live on the coast soon and have a uh, Sabine hanging in the in the boat lift. So that's, uh, that's that. Also, when it comes to navigating, learn your buoys. Uh, really got to study Google Maps. You really got to study Google Maps. Because if you're going into the backwaters, uh, you need to study everywhere that you want to go. You need to map off the mileages to make sure that you have enough gas in the boat to get back. Uh, you need to know how shallow your boat can run. And you need to, to bookmark the NOAA <clears throat> website and start to correlate the water levels at the whatever station you're using to what it actually means in real life to your base system. That is crucial because there are days coming up in the next, you know, 60 days uh, where you're going to, you're not going to be able to go to half the places I'm going to be in on Friday. So knowing those things, learning the Google maps, going out in the boat, putting in Anywhere that I have been running full out, I have putted first, unless I'm in the ditch. Uh, I'm in the intercoastal, then of course I'm I'm you know full throttle. But 
if I'm going somewhere off the beaten path, I'm going way back into a marsh. I have putted there before I run full out. I know where every fence post is. I know where all the little oyster clusters are. I know where the tires are and the concrete blocks and all that stuff because I've put it in and I've put it out and I have pulled uh, every square inch of most of these places in West Bay. So that's a crucial thing that you got to put the time in. If you're just going to go throttle down and uh, go have a good time, you're going to get you're going to get stuck. It's just going to happen. And you know, getting stuck is part of learning. I've been stuck. Everybody I know has been stuck. It's part of the gig. Just try. If you follow those principles, you won't get stuck so bad that you got to spend the night out there or you got to call for a CTO or something like that. So follow those principles. You're going to be fine. Make sure you have enough life jackets on the boat for everyone who's there. Get you a fire extinguisher, get you a flare first aid kit. Uh, I keep on the boat an antiseptic to wash off cuts in case someone gets cut by an oyster or you have an open wound in that nasty salt water. Uh, I, I carry stuff on the boat that is supposed to kill that flesh-eating bacteria stuff. So uh, I'll try to find a link and send it out. But uh, I carry those basics on the boat. I carry a rain jacket uh, now after I got soaked the last time. And uh, I carry a a, a battery jumper, one of those that you charge up and it has enough juice in it to jump your battery multiple times. I carry one of those on the boat and I charge it while I'm running. So I have it plugged into a power port in my uh, my bench seat uh, storage and it charges while I'm running. And if something were to go wrong, that puppy's ready to go. I can hook it up and uh, and we're good to go. So Those are just some things to kind of keep you out of trouble. Always have your phone on you or a way to communicate. I have a a phone and I have a radio. The radio is really only like you're in super bad uh, condition, super bad situation because then you're calling the Coast Guard. Uh, But usually a cell phone, you're in the back marsh, you know, you're usually just stuck. You're not dying. So usually. So uh, that that will probably do the trick. Uh, if you're out there and you drop your phone, you lose it, go in. Uh, bad things can happen and you never know when they're going to happen. If you're out there and don't have a way to communicate to the world, you are uh, putting yourself in a bad situation. Uh, I had a time, which if you go way back and listen to a way earlier episode, I don't even know what episode it was. I lost my phone in the marsh, decided to come in, but when I trailered the boat, this is back whenever I had the uh, the other boat, uh, The I can't even remember the name of it, but uh, when I had that boat, I trailered it, took off from the ramp, my leaf spring blew out, it came out of the bracket, boat, everything sitting on the axle, uh, burning the tire up, and I was stuck. I got help by some good Samaritans, uh, Nene down at Lewis's let me use the phone and an old man in that garage, uh, right up at the front of Lewis's bait camp, he took a crowbar and helped me pry that leaf spring back in and I limped it home. Uh, so I got really lucky that I was close to there and, uh, that they were so kind as to help. Don't put yourself in that situation. Uh, safety first. And then when you're safe, you can go out and have a ton of fun and not have to worry. So do that. 
Um, you deep water guys, or you guys fishing around the inlets to rivers, uh, November and right about now is when the run, the redfish run is really getting going. Why? Why is it happening? Here's why. Uh, two things. The redfish spawn in, uh, in these deeper water, uh, cuts and the ones that are not, uh, living offshore, they're living out in the middle of these large bay systems. So you got some bulls that don't, uh, that oftentimes they won't go all the way out through a pass. They'll live out in the middle of these, uh, these big, uh, open bays, especially the bays that are deeper. Trinity Bay is one. Uh, and then you got, you know, uh, the spill out of the San Jacinto that, uh, that, you know, goes out into the Galveston Bay there, that area, those bull reds will stay out in the open bay. And then this time of year, they'll run up into the rivers and they go pretty far up in the river. I've heard of people catching them at the dam, uh, Lake Houston dam, uh, and not very big ones up there, but I have seen a few caught up there. What's happening is in this brackish water, shrimp are hatching and they're hatching in the shallow, uh, flooded lake pockets on the sides of these rivers. And if you can go up into like the Burnett Bay area and even push up way farther than that, I'm telling you, you can push up way farther than that. And you find spots, shallow, sandy, muddy flats, uh, near the river channel, you can get really lucky and get into some really large, uh, reds. My personal best redfish that I caught when I was, uh, 14 years old was a 46 inch redfish caught him in about a foot and a half of water in the San Jacinto river. So on a live shrimp, no, on a dead shrimp. So now is the time of year for that to happen. Uh, all the locals that live around the river, they know what's up. Uh, you see a lot of boats out there right now. It's a thing, but a lot of us marsh fishermen and open bay guys don't uh, don't know that or don't pay much attention to it. But it's also why uh, those fish are making their way up into the marshes. You'll you, now is your best chance to catch an oversized fish in uh, in the <clears throat> excuse me in the back marshes. So it's just a great time to fish. We've got another month and a half, maybe uh, at least, hopefully another month things are going to change. The shrimp are going to quit hatching. They're going to get bigger. And we're going to get one good cold front that's going to flush this whole thing out. And then winter pattern will begin. And we will shed a tear uh, for that. So that's what's up. Uh, I'm going to end this podcast a little bit early because as you can tell, I'm struggling. I've had to stop this thing like eight times uh, for a cough. But um, I want to do the Bible tidbit. So here we go. Uh, This Bible tidbit is a little different. So I'm sure many of you are married. I know that we've already discussed here on the podcast that we've got about a 0.1% female listenership, uh, but it matters not. Uh, I'm speaking to to you guys here about your marriage, about your wife. Uh, there is a passage of scripture. There's many of them, but there's one in particular that uh, always would really stir up my domestic coordinator. She just kind of get frustrated about it, right? And that is First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, 
showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right. So there's a lot going on in that verse. But what most women do is they they uh, they hone in on the word weaker, right? And that frustrates them. And so if that is a hindrance to your wife, if you've struggled like I have to explain to her, uh, and, and my wife has been a believer for a long time. She knows the Bible as well as I do. Uh, she gets it. And, and she knows, and she's a great wife, but there, this part of her, she did, she kind of kicks back at authority anyway. So this part of, of scripture where the wife is supposed to be subject to the husband really bothers her. And so I want to try to explain it in a context that um, if you have the same kind of attention that, that rises up in your home, that you can... Uh, also explain it or just have her listen to this podcast, fast forward it to this moment, and uh, we'll boost our female listenership that way. Uh, so a couple things. There is something in our society uh, that is a common thread, and it begins back in Genesis chapter 3 in that proto-evangelic verse that I've referenced several times, Genesis 3.15. And, uh, and then shortly after that verse, God pronounces judgment and part of the judgment that he says to, to Eve is your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And one of the ways that can be translated in the original language is, uh, your desire will be to rule over him, but he will rule over you. You can kind of see that play out in society, in the relationship between men and women. Uh, if you give a woman whom you are in a relationship with the opportunity, she will run things and uh, she'll do a pretty good job at it until she's bored with you because you're not running things. And uh, and that's another rabbit hole I could dive down. But I want to kind of explain this from a biblical perspective. Uh, the Bible edifies, honors, and lifts up women in every aspect. So in this verse, <laughs> we just got done in First Peter. If you read everything in front of that, it's talking about how we as Christians should be should be subject to every societal ordinance. We should pay respect to the the emperor and Caesar and the president and the governor and the whatever, right? Honor authority. Uh, that is a, a tenet of, the, of Christianity that we adhere to. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you have to, you have to be obedient to the point where you are no longer following your, uh, your beliefs as a Christian. <laughs> Now, if you read the the actual verse I just read to you, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Okay, in this day and time, women were considered in many ways 
like property. Uh, you were your husband's and he was in charge of you. He was responsible for you. And uh, there was no showing honor in normal society because the woman was weaker. And what I mean by weaker is usually physically weaker. I'm sure there are some women out there that could probably out-wrestle me. Uh, and, but I'm painting with a broad brush here. Just, just in, you know, the fact that my wife and I are, uh, are not too far apart, uh, size wise, uh, she has no chance in a wrestling match against me. I promise. Okay. I would imagine that's usually the case with most of you guys, right? Physically weaker. And, uh, and it says show honor to her. Whereas the norm in society at that time was to lord over them, to treat them like property. And it says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Women were heirs to nothing during this time. Women had no heirship to anything. They, they didn't own property. They didn't inherit anything from their families. Everything they had came from their relation to their husband. Christianity and the gospel is flipping what is normal in society on its head by making this statement. They're lifting them up. They're honoring them. Look at other areas of scripture where uh, there's a, a verse in Genesis when uh, we talked about it last week, when I told you Ishmael and uh, Hagar were being banished because Sarah wanted them gone. And when Abraham was frustrated over that and he went to God, God told him, do whatever Sarah tells you. I know that verse because that's my wife's favorite verse in the Bible because her name is Sarah. But uh, said, do whatever Sarah tells you. Um, Christ revealed himself first to Mary when at the time a woman's testimony about something was not worth very much. They were not believed uh, just uh, they just didn't hold the same personhood as a man did in society. So Christ, when he is raised from the tomb, appears first to Mary Magdalene. And in doing that, she goes and gets Peter and the other disciples and they come and see. That's an important part of the story because he placed that trust and that and that witness uh, in her hands to go and spread the word. Uh, Rahab was a prostitute. We talked about her. Uh, she single-handedly saved those spies and threw, and then was grafted into the bloodline of Christ. She's one of only five women. Esther, if you read the book of Esther, was uh, raised up to save the entire nation of Israel uh, because of the position she held in the castle. So, Scripture over and over again elevates women to a place of honor and beauty. But here's the thing. We're equal, but different. We're equal, but different. So we already talked about how women are weaker. Just across the board, paint with a broad brush, women are weaker than men. Uh, women are more fragile than men. And that's one. That's a word that's going to upset some women, right? But here's what I mean. Track with me here. Picture you have two drinking vessels. You have a beautiful crystal wine glass and you have a stone mug. Which one, if you had a nice wine you wanted to drink, which one are you drinking it from? 
drinking from the beautiful crystal wine glass, right? Everyone is choosing the crystal. It's elegant. It's beautiful. It feels good in the hand. It it probably even, depending on the shape of the glass, is made for that kind of wine. It makes it taste better. The stone mug is less desirable, but it gets the job done. But if you, uh, if you take both of those drinking vessels and throw them on the floor, the crystal wine glass is going to shatter into a million pieces. And the stone mug, in its, all its ruggedness, is not. You may only get a chip on it. So that is uh, just a generic, ordinary way of, of trying to explain the difference in, between men and women. God gave men a a, a better, um, I guess, a, a more appetite for for courage and bravery. If there's a bump in the night, uh, my wife's not getting up to check it. She's not getting up to see what it was. She's sending me down there. And am I afraid? Uh, when uh, am I afraid when I go do that? No. Half the time, I'm excited. That adrenaline pumps. And you Rambo downstairs to see what's going on, right? Women don't have that that innate sense in them. They are cautious, careful creatures. We are a little more reckless, a little more brave, a little more strong. But uh, they're just as smart as we are. And uh, they're a lot better at a lot of other things than we are. They have a, an extra level of compassion, care, understanding, patience um, than we do. And so that's why we work together so well. When God made Eve uh, from Adam, he said, I've made a helper for you. And that helper word, that word for helper is azer konegdo. That word in its most basic meaning means a sustainer beside thee. Uh, I have it inscribed on the inside of my wedding ring. Um, and that's what that's what a wife is. And and one that truly understands the honor given to her in Scripture will accept that role and understand that she has just as loud of a voice and just as much of a right to come to the table with an opinion about a decision, but that uh, there is a difference between uh, our roles in the, the eyes of God. So that's it. Uh, I hope that uh, that sparks conversation with you and your wife. If you get into a huge fight about it, uh, email me and uh, and I'll be your wingman. So I'll give you some uh, some stuff to to sling her way in in the most gracious, wonderful, kind way that you can do that. So uh, thank you guys for listening to this podcast. Sorry that I'm a little under the weather uh, this week, but I should be all cleared up and back to my normal self next week. And we will dig into the weeds on the fishing. Um, Go listen to the Paddler's Playbook here on the Redfish Network. I uh, hope that all of you have come over from the Empty Stringer channel and have subscribed to the Redfish Network. Go listen to the Salty Yak Outdoor Podcast as well. Uh, go buy Kevin's Outside Custom Painted Baits at Fish Sticks and several other places. Um, and yeah, uh, I hope that you guys will shoot me a message if you got a question, if you want a book. Uh, a trip. I've got dates open in December. Uh, November starting to close out. I've got a couple left in November, but that's about it. So uh, shoot me an email, emptystringers at gmail. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at empty underscore stringers and on TikTok at empty stringers. Uh, go and check that out. 
I hope you have a great week and I'll be back in full form next week. Y'all have a good one. Bye.